Good evening, everybody. Good evening. We're going to get started here. First Kings chapter 13. First Kings 13. We pick up where we left off. Halfway through the exciting chapter, let's bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord, ask his blessing. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence here. Apart from you, we can do nothing. These truths are spiritually discerned, so we need the Spirit to help us. So open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, show us Jesus and the the hope that we have in him tonight. Truths that set our hearts free. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as I've mentioned before, I am not a fan of stories, films, or books that have a sad ending. I, 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 I do not like stories that don't have a resolve, that leave you at the end just wondering and asking more questions than when you came in. I, I don't appreciate that, uh, especially for kids. Now, as a dad back in the day, I was always on the hunt looking for a good film with good values, exciting and clean, and I just love to, to see uh, the kids light up in front of whatever it is we're looking at there and uh, be blessed. And so one day I brought home uh, the video, Where the Red Fern Grows. Yeah. It's not by chance it's voted the saddest book of all time. Now, I, I, I remembered liking the book and reading it, and this is the movie that I'm referring to, the version, okay? Uh, so we brought this home, and I remember, you know, everybody has to read it there in sixth grade or whatever. I remember that there was something sad, but I didn't remember being traumatized. <laughs> so let me, let me go ahead and just take a silly couple minutes to refresh your memory, all right? Um, I loved everything about the movie, every last thing except the ending. That's the last few minutes. It it is such a beautiful story. Ten-year-old Billy lives in the Ozarks, cute as a bug in the rug, you know, and with a good heart. You just fall in love with that kid. And uh, he, he, he spots a hunting dog that he wants for sale there in a catalog, and he can't afford it. He saves up his money in a tin can for two years working on jobs, and uh, he wants two red-bone coon hounds, and he goes after them. They don't deliver them, so he, he goes to the big city out on his own, and he gets those two uh, brother and sister, and they're so, look at them. <laughs> he named them Dan and Anne, right? They're, they're brothers and sister, oh, wow. And so he gets the pups, he totes them home in a bag, and uh, while he's in the big city, he, with his extra earnings, he buys presents for each person in his family. You love this kid, you know? You're in love with the dog, you're in love with him, you're in love with the whole movie. Uh, of course, he, they grow up and he enters them in coon hunting competitions and he trains them and grandpa's there, you know. They say grace over the meals and you're just, whoa, this is such a good movie. And every contest that they enter the dogs in, uh, the dogs win, of course over the bad guy's dog, right? 
It, it's so beautiful. I love it. And, and life is good in the Ozarks, and the dogs are champions, and the sunshine, and the daisies, and the music. And then one day, out of nowhere, while your kids are innocently sitting there, when you have no control because they're already hooked, they're locked in. They've identified with the boy, with the grandpa, with the dogs, and everything. It's too late to do anything when all of a sudden, there's a mountain lion that gets treed by Dan, and Dan gets disemboweled. Yeah, in the book, he's disemboweled by the mountain lion. Well, poor Billy runs in with an ass, but it's too late. Dan is dead, all right? So the kids are there on the couch. I'm like, kids, uh, I, this is going to pick up. You know, we've still got Anne. We've got Anne. Oh, no, you don't. You don't have Anne because a few days later, she loses the will to live. She loses the live, will to live. She goes to Dan's grave and curls up on top of the grave and dies. <laughs> Hashtag seriously? <laughs> I was speechless. I, 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 I think I remember <laughs> shutting it off. It's like, kids, uh, there's a sequel. Let me tell you about the sequel. <laughs> These puppies appear everywhere. All right, now look, you can long and wait in that movie for puppies to come bounding through a field with a rainbow in the background. And, and no, you're not getting any more puppies. You know what you're getting? You're getting a red fern. A red fern grows up. Who wants a red fern? I want puppies. I want new puppies. I want resolve, but you're not going to get it. Wait as long as you want. I just wanted a new puppy. Two gravestones. And then suddenly it's like a big resolve. A fern, a red fern grows to show that they truly loved one another. The kids are sobbing on the couch. Oh, man, yeah, well, all right. Well, thank you for um, going along with that little bunny trail. It was a quick bunny trail. Now, listen, I don't like those kinds of stories. Speaking of that, there's tonight's text. Not a real favorite. It's really sad. It's really senseless. It's a head-scratcher. It leaves you with way more questions than answers. And uh, we're going to take a look at it uh, tonight. Now, the Word of God is not a work of fiction. So even though it's not real enjoyable read, <laughs> there's a lot of lessons and insights for us here tonight. Now, I've got to give you some co context and the setting, okay, for this sad story. Uh, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel is divided in two. And so here's that famous map that you've been looking at. Uh, the northern uh, 10 tribes are called Israel. They'll never again be a united nation under one king ever until Jesus comes back. And so uh, in the south, of course, uh, is Judah made up of two states. Uh, they're in fulfillment of the Lord's word and judgment regarding Solomon and his idolatry and leading the nation into sin. So Solomon's heir, Rehoboam, king of Judah in the south, and then you've got Solomon's troublemaker, Jeroboam, who is king over the north there, king of Israel. 
Uh, and he's the subject. Jeroboam is the subject at hand tonight in chapter 13. You'll remember he's very harsh, he's self-absorbed, he's disobedient. And it's so sad because God promised him, man, I'm gonna give you 10 tribes, I'll give you all of Israel, I'll, I'll, I'll treat you like David. I'll give you an enduring dynasty if you just walk with me. Wow, but he did not want to do that. And so from his insecurity and unbelief, he does something unbelievable to keep Israel, the 10 tribes, and I'm glad that's up there so while I'm talking, you can refer to that, uh, to keep them from going to Jerusalem for the, uh, the annual feasts and what have you, the holy days, because he's, he's insecure. He thinks that the people are gonna go down to Jerusalem because even though we're split politically, they're still all Jews and they're gonna wanna go worship at Jerusalem, so we can't have that. So he says, what am I gonna do? So some smart guy <laughs> tell him, hey, how about setting up some golden calves? You can set them up in the north, set them up in the south, and just there's a lot of bling and a lot of, you know, you know how we are with the calves, so it's in our history. You know, Jews like to worship the golden calf, apparently, and so they set them up. And he takes matters into his own hands. He's changing holy, holy days. He's acting as priest and king. The whole deal is, listen, I'll make it so easy for you to worship the Lord. may not look the same to you, but we're worshiping Yahweh in our own way. And it's gonna be very convenient and you're gonna love it. You're not gonna need that temple because if you go down there, you're gonna fall in love with the place and you're gonna kill me. That's what he's thinking. That's exactly what he's thinking. Surely they're going to kill me. So last week, and this brings us up to where our, our sad story will begin. Last week, it's time for a little judgment for Jeroboam because he's doing this stuff and he's offering sacrifices there at the altar of the golden calves. And so one day he's doing that and God sends a man of God from Judah, from the south, because that's really the only place you're gonna find a man of God anymore. And so he comes up, and you remember what happens. While he's in the midst of offering the sacrifice, the man of God prophesies really to the altar. He says, O altar, O altar, upon you someday a king from the south will offer the bones of priests like this guy right on there. And, and he said, and just so you know, as a sign, the altar is going to, to crack in half and the ashes are gonna go everywhere. Well, as Jeroboam, as you recall last week, says, seize that man, his hand withers up, shrivels up, and he sees this, and he sees the altar. He gets freaked out, not about his sin, but about his hand, and he says to the man of God from Judah, he says, pray to the Lord for me for my hand. So the guy you know, loves his enemies, He's, he prays to the Lord, and the Lord restores his hand. And then the king, of Jerob the king Jeroboam bursts into a little song, why can't we be friends, all right? <laughs> he says, dude, come on over, you know, no repentance. Oh, that's still that wicked, corrupt king. And now that you fixed my hand, hey, why don't you come over to my house? I'll show you how we do things up north. You know, we'll have a good time, drink a little bit, we'll eat, you know, and the man of God says, oh, oh no, even if you were to offer me half of your kingdom, I 
have been sworn under oath by God not to take a sip of water, not to eat a bite of bread. In fact, the Lord said, don't even go back the same way. And folks, this is why the Lord said this. In case somebody tries to go after you to change your heart and mind, don't even take the same way. Throw them off because temptation comes and will try to follow you and hunt you down. So uh, he says, not even a cup of water, not a slice of bread. And off the courageous man of God goes obediently taking a different way home. Verse 11. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, that's the north, okay, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had just done that day at the altar, the hand, the ashes, the whole deal. They also told their father what, what he had said to the king about, you know, he can't fellowship with us calf worshipers. <laughs> Verse 12, their father asked them, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this dark place, in, in this place. Sorry, I see drink underneath that, and it is a dark place for him, actually. Verse 17, I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. So if you're taking notes, the temptation or trap, all right? Now most of you already know, and I'm not really spoiling the surprise that ultimately this prophet uh, is deceiving the man of God who will sin and pay for it with his life. And so that is the sad and senseless story and the way it all unfolds just raises a lot of questions. And so something's amiss. Um, we kind of hear the scary music start a little bit in the background. Uh, uh, who is this guy? Where right away you should doubt his motives because why? Well, why is the retired prophet living in Bethel? First of all, we know in Second Chronicles chapter 11 that all the priests and Levites defected from this idolatrous, corrupt uh, northern territories. Anybody who had a true heart for the Lord, it says in 2 Chronicles 11, they left. They didn't want any part of this golden cow stuff. And so why is, why is he still there? Check. Number one, unless he's compromised, unless he's not the real deal. And what's up with his boys? His boys are calf worshipers. They were there. All right? So we're going to start to get a feeling for the kind of guy he may be and the kind of family they are. He was at, they were at the, the, the service. So not a godly family. We don't expect godly motives. So they tell on the man of God to their old crotchety, whatever, uh, man of, uh, prophet of God there. 
Oh, Father, here's what this guy did. He comes up from the south. Who does he think he is? He pronounced judgment. The altar cracked apart and all of this. And, 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 and here's the line that should have uh, alerted you that there's going to be a problem. And here's what God had told him. He, he, he's not to fellowship with anybody here. He's under strict orders. He even had to go home a, a different way. Oh, why are you telling him that? And why suddenly is he so excited? Well, uh, the man of God is a target now. And so he's a target not only, but, you know, spirit-filled men and women, one writer said, who obey God and do his will are perceived as threats by those who don't. We've been seeing that every Sunday morning in, in the book of Acts. Um, and so, number two, not to mention the devil, the man of God is not a favorite with him. And so he is a target. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, uh, be on your guard, your enemy, the adversary, which is a, a, a word satan in Hebrew, means adversary. The devil roars and roams about seeking somebody to devour, resist him. Now, usually when there's great success in ministry and when God is advancing in you and through you, there will come an attack. This is, we see it biblically all the time, so you should be thinking about that. Um, and by the way, he'll use a Christian, a professing Christian in this case, or a non-Christian, the devil will, if he can get at you that way, and he prefers the former, of course. Why would he prefer to hurt you through another professing believer? He would prefer that. Why? Well, first of all, <laughs> your guard is down with believers, right? And uh, you're not aware. You're less aware. You're less suspecting. And well, you probably should be with a professed believer. Uh, Satan has a part of every backslidden heart. And so we know that uh, the two are going to meet now, but... Uh, I think whatever the status of the old prophet's salvation ultimately is, we have sufficient cause uh, to consider his motives as false. All right? So there's a lot of arguing about who is this guy, right? Uh, but I would say that he is a sinister uh, character and we'll have more evidence coming your way. Now the two meet in verse 14. Uh, uh, because he goes off to find him, and he, he finds him uh, at a rest stop under an oak tree. If only he had kept going. Keep busy serving the Lord. Keep engaged. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with taking a break. Jesus said, come away, you guys, and get some rest with me. Uh, it's a holy thing. To, to take care of yourself in that way. But you never take a spiritual vacation. Even when you're on vacation, do you just don't read your Bible? You don't bring your Bible? You don't go to church? Well, sometimes you don't go to church, but, and that's pretty normal. But is there ever a time you just lay down the armor and just say, hey, this is just kind of heavy. I'm just going to take a break uh, from work, and I'm going to take a break from church, and I'm going to take a work break from my quiet time and from my reading and from my taking thoughts captive? That's what happens. So he's sitting under the oak. I don't know uh, how far we can go with this. Nobody knows anybody's heart. And you're certainly not going to get the information from the short little couple paragraphs because that causes a lot of the problem in this chapter. So you don't get a lot of details. So what is he doing under there? Why is it? He, he's, not, he's not praying. 
Because if he was praying, he would just kind of be told by the Holy Spirit, here comes this guy, and your life is on the line. So here's, here's the conversation, and it starts out funny to me. Sounds a little bit like flattery. Are you the man of God from Judah? I don't know how I would answer that. I mean, maybe he just means it as a title, but you know, how would the Apostle Paul answer that? Are, are you the man of God who wrote 13 of the New Testament books? I don't hear the Apostle Paul saying, I am. I, I really don't. Hey, who are you, John the Baptist? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you this? Are you that? Are you? And he says, a voice. He says, not unworthy to, to un tie or to clean sandals or shoes. I, I, just, I, I just, you know, what, what is it? it it's this. When, you're, when you have a gift from God or you use it or God's doing something great in you or near you, you're vulnerable right after a success. Man, he just did miracles, you know? Seize him. And, oh, Lord. Lord God, help the poor guy. Undo that hand. And now he's sitting on the oak, feeling pretty good about himself, maybe. It's just, hey, I'm the man of God from Judah. Oh, that's me. I don't know, I don't know. I'm just saying. I see a fall, I see a fall coming. So I'm trying to figure it out. Okay, so let's do this together. Um, Oh, by the way, are you, are you that one with that crazy 4.0? Are you, are you him? Uh, are you the athlete who saved the game? Man, I heard about you. Are you the athlete? Nobody's, like, nobody's your rival. Hey, are you the one who plays that violin like nobody's business? Are you the one who could preach sermons around whoever? Are you the one who sings? Are you the one who decorates that house? Like, are you the one? What do you say? I don't think you say, you're looking at me. I really don't think I am. I don't think, I don't think you say that, do you? I know you all feel it, right? You feel like saying it, right? So do I. But I, I think we all know who we really are without the grace of God. And I think it'd be good for us to stay there in our minds. Without the grace of God, this is who I am. It's protective. (laughs) It's protective. All right. So he says, that's me. Now, I'm just wondering. Go with me here a little bit if you want. Wow, you showed him back there. I heard all about it. My boys just told me the whole story. The ashes were still burning when I left town, man. I like your style, kid. He's the old guy. There's the young boy, right? Hey, man, I like your style, man. Uh, You must be hungry, man. Here comes the arrow. Come on home with me. This is how we know he's sinister. He's been told. He's been told the one thing he can't do, Dad, he can't stay around and eat. He can't come back here. The Lord's got it. He's heard the word of the Lord. He's got the scriptures, man. So he's trying to get him to sin. This is no good. Hey, man, listen. My wife makes this roasted lamb and lentil stew. All right, I want to tell you about the, the cilantro and the cumin. When they come together, the smell, the warm bread dipped in the hummus, man. You know, the, the well on our property, the water is so sweet. Everyone knows about it. It's as sweet as honey. And it's ice cold. 
It's just ice cold. Are you, are you thirsty? Are you, are you hungry? And he goes, listen, man, look, I'm under strict orders. God spoke to me. I've got God's word. God says, not a bite of bread, not a sip of well water. And don't go back, not even a step. So, no can do. The young man of God has the right words. Strike one, devil. All right. Second pitch. Here we go. Because there's always a second pitch. If he doesn't connect with the first one, you think he goes, oh, man. (laughs) Okay. Then I guess I'll go home. (laughs) Yeah. No. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? All right. Verse 18 through 22. Here comes a lob right over the... uh, 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 right over the plate. The old prophet answered, oh, I too am a prophet. What coincidence. As you are, and an angel said to me, by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink some of that sweet water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him. Mm and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. Who cares if I was the one who lied to you? Verse 22. Uh, You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. Let's pause there. Number two, the fall. Temptation number one, the fall. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers means you're not going to make it home. Not going to make it that far. You'll be buried somewhere other than home. Now, did you hear the bat connect and the ball right over the wall there? Well, that home run is going to kill him, unfortunately. Now, what a downer and a disappointment and disturbing on several levels. And I, I, I hear the disturbances, so, so let's walk through them. There, there are several in this passage. First thing that troubles me and you probably is, is he a prophet of the Lord or not? Is he or isn't he? I vote he is not, all right? But it really doesn't matter because it's not the point of the passage, all right? So the lie from the so-called prophet deceives the smooth-faced man of God who's younger. Then he speaks truth from the Lord, pronounces judgment on the one he deceived with the lie in the name of the Lord. So to me, he's like Balaam. Back in Numbers 22, Balaam is a false prophet. He's able to speak truth. Every time, he's hired out by the king of Moab, this Balaam is, right? And he says, hey, I see the Israelites coming, dude, and they just steamroller steamroll over every nation in their way that blocked them. I don't know what to do. So help me out and put a curse on him. So he opens his mouth and he blesses Israel, right? The Lord uses him and prophesies through him. 
Oh, he also uses a donkey. The Lord can use a lot of people, right? It doesn't mean that they're sanctified uh, because he uses them. Now, our problems have begun in this passage. Now, here's, here's what we feel. If the man of God is going to fall, and we don't want him to fall, but at least may it not be through a so-called prophet who deceives him in the most despicable way. That, that bothers us. And then if the so-called prophet deceives the man of God, we don't want the deceiver to be the one to pronounce judgment on him. Rather, we want the liar to be judged, right? Right? That, that, that doesn't bother. It bothers us, right? If, now, he, he falls because he's entrapped and in such a small thing, too, uh, as having some lentil stew or something, we don't want him to lose his life. So we have a problem with that. Really, he's a hero. He's been a good boy. He got deceived. He got tricked up. It wasn't really out of malice. He, he obeyed almost all the way. He almost got home. And then a guy lied, and he was slick, and he just made a little slip up. God, and you're going to kill him? Yep. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Number one, God doesn't tempt anybody. James chapter one, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, God saw it coming. That's why he loves this man of God. And he said, hey, dude, don't even go home the same way because somebody's going to try to follow you. Somebody's going to try to follow you. God didn't want him to fail. God allowed a test, and our boy fails. Someone put it this way, and I like this. This is going to help you. The point of the passage is not what we think of the means of the temptation, whether God should have allowed it or not, whether God should have spoken through the bad guy in the story or no. The point is that the man knew the word of God and defied it, and now will pay a dear price. Now, the point of the passage so far, and listen well, is that no matter what form the prompt comes to disobey the word of God, whether it's the world's popular acceptance of something, whether it's a popular Christian book, whether it's a supernatural experience, whether it's peer pressure, uh, whether it's an angel from heaven, listen, Galatians chapter one and verse eight, uh, Paul says, I'm astonished that you Galatians, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse eight, listen to this. But even if we, or an angel from God, an angel told me, if an angel came and told you something that contradicts the clear meaning of the scriptures, let him be eternally condemned. That's the point of this whole story. You've got the word of God. Do not let anything in heaven or hell dissuade you from obeying it, because by obeying the word of God, you have life. And disobeying the word of God 
brings death. Doesn't matter who you are. Go ahead and rebel against it. It brings death. Do not defy the word of God. A vision, emotions, your sexual orientation. Who cares what your sexual orientation is? Who who cares what you're prompted, your natural inclinations? It doesn't matter how you were born the first time in your brokenness. It matters about being born again. That's the only way that we can get to heaven. It just doesn't matter anything. You cannot disobey the word of God because, and fill in the blank, because this guy came and he told me, he's a man of God and an angel appeared to him and I believed him. Doesn't work. How about another Christian who tells you, hey, God told me to tell you. I was so abused by that for years in a different denomination. I've got a word for you. A disturbed man told Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, the Lord told me to tell you that I will be preaching here next Sunday. And Charles Spurgeon looked at him and said, Well, when the Lord tells me, I'll let you know. (laughs) Warren Wearsby, let others warn you and encourage and correct you with the word of God, but watch out when they want to tell you what God's will is for your life. Chuck Smith used to say, you know what? God's got my phone number. He's got my address. He knows how to get a hold of me. Thank you for sharing end of that, you know. So uh, God never contradicts himself. The commands of the Lord are not up for negotiations. So uh, just as the man of God chomps down on that delicious lentil stew, the lying prophet cries out, some man of God you are, Sonny. You ain't gonna even make it home because you did what God told you not to do. Oh, we don't like him. It's okay not to like him, all right? But, 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 yeah, let's continue. <laughs> now, when the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, it's the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him as the word of the Lord had warned. Patience, everybody, patience. Verse 27. The prophet said to his son, saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then he went out, found the body, thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Verse 30. (laughs) Then he laid the body in his own tomb 
And they mourned over him and said, oh, my brother. After burying him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. All right, let's pause there. We've seen one, the temptation, two, the fall, and now three, the inevitable consequences. Now, now it's bothersome to me that the man of God, having been rebuked so clearly, continues to eat and drink. That bothers me. Dude, you couldn't just say, oh, I've been deceived. Fall down on your face right there. Get the stew out of your mouth. And just say, face down, oh God, have mercy. The same God who just healed the withered hand is alive and well, man of God. And he's on your side. But what does he, what does he think? Well, I've gone so far. I've gone so far. I just got to finish it. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, he, he, they're still eating and drink, drinking. Can I have a little bit more wine? We could have been reading a different story. I truly believe you would have read a different story. There'd be no mountain. There'd be a couple puppies somewhere. <laughs> Tears, heartfelt, choking on the lentils. Dude, what if I don't spit it out at him? Wrestle them down to the ground. Get mad. Do something. Don't just keep eating and drinking like nothing. Oh, um, well, no repentance. There's nothing. I don't know. I was looking for this. I'm rooting for this guy. So are you, right? All right. I'll calm down now. No. <laughs> Not too far down the road. He's mauled by a mountain lion. No mistaking who's allowing it because it's miraculous. The donkey and the lion are just uh, hanging out together. <laughs> that doesn't happen till the millennial kingdom. All right, when the millennial kingdom comes, the lion lays down with the lamb. But until that time, it's lamb chops if the lion lays down with the lamb, right? So, but what is God saying there? God's saying, this isn't an ordinary uh, accident. It reeks of a miraculous. What is, what's the donkey sitting next to a lion for? And why isn't the body eaten? There's a line in there to let you know. Once the lion has accomplished its purpose, it just sits. There it is. Now, the thing that is also bothering you, let's talk about it. Okay, just get it out in the open, and I'll do it for you. All right, wasn't that just a little harsh? <laughs> a little overreaction. God, really? I mean, he goes back, he eats with the guy, you kill him with a mountain lion? What's up with that? That's a head scratcher, right? Well, uh, the punishment doesn't seem commensurate to the crime, uh, I know, but let's get through this together. Someone said, and I love this, Truly we lack the details known only to the Lord about this man of God's history and personal relationship with God and where this sin of his was leading him and others. 
if we had those details which are only available in the life to come and which God didn't feel obliged to disclose here, we would have less of a problem with what we just read. Hold on. We don't know. We don't know the details that would have softened it. When you get to heaven, all the things that make God look bad, well, all of them, you're going to go, oh, of course. Right? You don't have the mind yet to handle that. But in our new bodies, oh, we'll be able to see that he is good. He is good and his love endures forever. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. So God's done nothing wrong. Just a quick meal, really. And he was deceived. We want to see the kindness of God, not the severity of God. Romans eleven twenty two. Okay, maybe we do want to see the severity of God, but on the lying prophet, all right? Not on our boy here. So, uh, Never see any defiance of the word of God as a small matter. It just seems like a small matter to you and to me. But um, sometimes when you take heroin, just a little bit, sometimes you live to, to talk about it. And other times you die. One lie, one fling, one theft, one sting can kill you. One helping of fruit. Ask Eve. She was deceived. She didn't mean a thing. Didn't mean to hurt you. One bite killed the world. Slayed us all. Well, just, just, just one tree, one time. The first time. And she didn't even mean it. It wasn't on purpose. She didn't say in her heart, hey, you know, I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm going to, dis- I- I'm going to disobey God. Get us all into trouble. One bowl of lentil stew. Speaking of lentil stew, Genesis chapter 25. Ask Esau. Oh, I was famished. Lost your birthright. One bowl. But it was just a bowl. And he cried himself to sleep that night. Didn't matter. Done. Can't undo it. Why not? Some things are not fixable. Sorry. <laughs> Listen to me. Some things are not fixable. There's redemption. Some good can come from it. But some things are not fixable. And you'll have to live with it the rest of your life. One plunder from one war. Ask Saul. The Lord said to Saul, the word of the Lord to Saul, go in. Wipe everything out. This is really contaminated stuff. Devote it all to me. Just, I don't want you guys taking any of it. So he left some of the sheep, some of the good things, and Samuel shows up one night. Boom. What's up, man? He goes, hey, we're just coming back from a real big victory. The Lord your God gave us success. Uh, Did you destroy everything like he made very clear to you? And he goes, oh, yeah, mostly. And uh, Samuel says, then why do I hear the bleating of sheep? And he goes, oh, those. (laughs) Those just few sheep, you know, I feared the people. 
they, they're like, hey, man, we could really use this. We'll dedicate some of it to the Lord. It'll all be good. I feared them, and so I said, I gave in. You've lost your kingdom. Just, seriously? Just what, hey, hey, hold on here. Just like that, sir. Gone. Just one slip up? Yeah. Just one slip up, it happens. Now, if for every rebellious action on our part, a mountain lion would appear and maul us, God would run out of mountain lions, all right? Because we would all need one, all right? So thankfully, we live in an age of grace under the shed blood and the atonement and the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But still, oh, he, he's not one to trifle with for sure. One swerve from the truth can cost you everything. And the man of God took a risk and lost. He took a risk. He's going to walk on the wild side. Now, what did Samuel say to King Saul? He said, dude, what is more pleasing to the Lord, giving sacrificially or obeying his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than all your gifts put together. Listen to this. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. No such thing as a little rebellion. Oh, I just get, sometimes I get a little rebellious. Oh, do you do, you do tarot cards too? And do you read palms? And do you, do you put spells on people? In God's eyes, he's saying, when you turn away from me and you rebel, man, that's like the enemy. You're like putting your arm around the enemy. You know, so you have to be careful about that. Oh, there's more. Hmm. Then we read about the liar's change of heart. I'm I'm sorry, I'm not interested in his change of heart, but I have to read it because it's in the Bible. All right, so I hope, I'm just being real. Hashtag, let's be real. Uh, Hope it's real, but I don't know. Okay, suddenly he realizes, wow, he gets the news. Hey, the guy's laying in the road. What? Wow, he really is the real deal. I mean, the word came out, he's mauled, and surely it was the hand of the Lord because there's a mountain lion there and a donkey, and wow. So he has a change of heart. So he's mourning. Now, is he mourning because he realizes his part in the death? Maybe. Oh, my brother, you know what I wrote down here? Let's let God determine who's in the family, all right? (laughs) Let's let God, because, you know, just because somebody says, oh, 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 my brother, you know, I don't know. Is emotion talking? Are you really, are you really, am I really going to see you in heaven? I don't know. I mean, seriously, I don't wish hell on anybody, not even this guy. Uh, But we don't know just because he's saying that, right? So after the burial, he tells his boys in verse 31, bury me with this guy, my bones next to his bones, because he's the real deal. And why does he do that, commentators say? Now he knows that that guy is really a man of God for sure. And he's thinking, when he dies, he knows that guy's going to heaven, right? So he wants to get as close as he can. 
Uh, maybe he can, you know, kind of get a ride. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, not in that sense like that. But he just wants to be associated with a guy he knows is going to heaven. Right? But you know what? <laughs> it's not in sharing the grave of the righteous. It's in sharing the life of the righteous. So you'll need to live like he lived, sir, not to just have your bones placed there so that when he gets caught up, maybe by some stroke of luck, you'll get caught up too. And people do this today, to this day, you know, by their associations. Oh, I know this guy, or I give to this church, or I I know that I'm going, you know, my wife or my husband or my kids or whatever it is, we think that if our bones are close enough, you know, no, I don't think so. So let's button it up. Two verses left. How hard could that be? (laughs) Don't ask. All right. (laughs) Even after this, that's a killer. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change, so the king gets wind of all of this. He doesn't change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. (laughs) Yikes. That was a death penalty, by the way. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. All right, so last point, the effect on others, all right? Temptation, fall, consequences, and now the effect on others. The effect on King Jeroboam from all the whole chapter, what was it? Zero. (laughs) Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil Ways even after this, after what? After the miraculous rebuke from the prophet, the supernatural withering of his own hand, the merciful divine healing of undoing that of his hand, the powerful demolition of the altar as a sign, the dramatic death of the disobedient man of God, which should have said to Jeroboam, if God judges it, listen, this is good, If God judges a disobedient man of God who was tricked, how much more a disobedient, unbelieving king who willingly leads people astray? That's really an important point. The Lord was speaking to Jeroboam like 1 Peter chapter 4, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? This is the message to Jeroboam that the Lord is saying, will you repent now? And he says, after all of this, even, this is your text, it's like surprise. The Holy Spirit is like, even after this, this guy hardens his heart. You know everybody who says, hey, if I saw a miracle, you know that's just not true. Because every time we see somebody in the scriptures who gets a, what they want is they see the miracle and then they go on because even after this, he does not change his evil ways. Jeroboam is somebody who just doesn't get it. Listen to this. 1600s, a guy in the 1600s, an English Anglican uh, Bible scholar, John Trapp, of this passage says... All these wonderful accidents as God's hammers did but beat upon cold iron. Hmm. God just comes at you, comes at you, comes at you, comes at you. 
It didn't help Jeroboam. It doesn't help the people in the great tribulation. Matthew 24, Jesus says, the earth has an appointment with seven years, which will be its undoing. Signs and wonders and tribulations such as the world has never seen, Jesus said, nor shall ever see. It will be the end of earth as we know it. And chapter 16 says, in the midst of all of the plagues from heaven, as the earth is collapsing on itself and men are in agony from the plagues, yet they did not repent of their evil deeds. So these guys too, they went about living their lives, doing whatever they wanted, appointing people. Hey, you want to be in the ministry? Hey, come on, let's do this. And uh, the ministry was not the ministry, believe me. So this was the sin, your text says, that led to Israel's downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth. Here's the map again, right? There it is. The north will be wiped off the face of the earth. There'll be no more north. In the year 722, it's about 930 BC right now. In 722, the Assyrians come in and destroy Israel, levels it, the the north. The south survives for about 200 more years. Judah survives. Then King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in 586. Now, This is what I see, and this will help you make sense. The two men are pictures, all right? They existed, this has really happened, but they speak. The good man of God seduced into rebellion from Judah. He he represents Judah and some good kings, but not enough hold on, and so they will be, Judah will be misled by Israel the prophet, the nasty prophet, all right? Even though they're, they're basically good, they, fall, they are deceived. And in 586, they're wiped off the, the, the earth there. The temple's destroyed and all of that. And the north, the old prophet, the, the lying prophet, there'll be 20, 19 kings after Jeroboam in the north. All of them are wicked, every single one of them. The only one, the only comment is Ahab who was worse than Jeroboam. All 19 that lead down to 722 BC from the north, they're all wicked. The old prophet, the deceiver, he's from the north. The man of God's from the south. Let me, let me show you the two gravestones again. Dan and Ann, are you there? No. <laughs> yes. The north and the south. They're both doomed. The story of the text. They're both going down. One had a good heart, but they gave in. The other one's just wretched. The north and the south, Israel as a whole, wiped out, dead. But wait. Something's growing up. The root, not of a red fern, but the root of Jesse, a stump, it's called. From the stump of Jesse, who's David's father, a root, a branch, springs up. This is what it's called. 
And who is that? Jesus. Jesus will come out of the sadness, the hopelessness, the death, the saddest stories that you ever hear about. Dan and Ann dying, and, and your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and your husband and your wife. It's just a life that has a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of sadness and a lot of sorrow. But there's a root. Now, if you go to Matthew 1, you find that Solomon, David, Solomon, Rehoboam are in the line of Jesus. Jesus comes through these folks as a promise through King David. And he will come and he will appear. Our great God and Savior will appear, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen? Amen. There's a happy ending. Listen, it's just not always here. There's a happy ending. Did you read the last couple chapters in Revelation? It's very joy-filled, right? But until then, uh, there's Dan and Ann, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for sustaining us with your joy in this life. And we know even you, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the son of God, God the God-man. So we don't expect, Lord, to have it any other way than you had it. So, Lord, we do, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of hope. We are optimistic. We're blessed. We're going to heaven. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the joy as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we're so grateful for that. But Lord, we also have our, our share of grief and unanswered questions and head scratchers and, and a lot of whys, but you're so faithful. We love you, and we thank you for this chapter. It's sobering. It's good. It's good for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, sing the closing song. Number one, let nothing and no one, not an angel from heaven or a devil from hell, dissuade you from obeying the word of God. Number two, never minimize the potential of sin to destroy. Number three, one slip up can do irrevocable harm. Four, Tests usually come after successes, so watch out. And number five, remember in this life, there's lots of sadness and disappointment and lots of questions, but we have the sure promises of God to help us through. And one day, we know the sorrows shall be no more. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to your care. Thank you for your wonderful word. It's done a deep work in our hearts. Help us to embrace these truths and to live them out. Holy Spirit, help them to come to the surface when we need them the most. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. There's prayer at the cross, as always. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.